Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests, on The Gup, we talk about all things relating to golf performance. So you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. Welcome everybody to the Golf Under Par podcast. Thank you guys for uh, joining us today. We have guest Dr. JP Gidry. All right. He is the owner of Gidry Golf and Sport. He's a physical therapist and strength coach down in Louisiana. Uh, he's also the host of the podcast Becoming Lifelong Athlete. So if you guys want to learn about developing your your athletic skills and whatnot, I highly recommend toning that in. I've I've listened to several of those episodes there and I've enjoyed them to this point. So JP, thank you so much for coming on, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah. Great. So I always ask all my, all my guests on here is how did you get into golf in the first place? So I didn't, I didn't get in, I got into golf a little later in life. Uh, I played, you know, basketball, baseball growing up pretty much through high school. And then, uh, you know, I would always kind of mess around on the golf course, but it was more just, you know, I never took it seriously. And then I went to physical therapy school in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, and so, you know, there's a golf course on every corner around there and it, it started to become just kind of a stress reliever, you know, and I got into it and then I was getting out of kind of playing other sports. So it was a way to still stay competitive and it was definitely just a nice way to get away from studying and all the things that go along with PT school. Um, so, you know, I guess 23, 24 there, I really started taking it serious and then got out of PT school and, and it's been a kind of a, a sole focus on actually getting better and, and learning the game and enjoying the game. And obviously, you know, I've had the pleasure of being able to mix it in what I do for a living. Um, and so, you know, I'm 37 now, so I've probably been playing it seriously for, you know, 12, 13 years, I'd say. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, so my, my startup is, you know, my dad was a businessman, so he played a decent amount of golf, you know, with his business deal. So I was kind of around the game, but he kind of had this rule for all our kids that, 12 was kind of the age where you started to start playing and that was the time frame he'd, he'd get you some clubs and whatnot and he'd, he'd pay for the we'll say the summer membership at the local club and so we could just go down there and that's what me and my brothers would do we'd go down there in the morning play you know around and come back and he always have you know a handful of things we lived in an old house that needed work <laughs> so it was always like hey you go out you go do this do that do that when after you guys done out playing around horse around so very cool uh, so I know you, you, we were talking a little bit here just beforehand you were talking, you know, mostly has been focused on strength training for the last couple of years and kind of looking and getting back into doing a little bit more physical therapy. Uh, so how has your experience come out as a PT affected your training aspect with golfers? So I, I think it kind of, 
it goes both ways. So I would say, and even as a PT as a whole, you know, I've been out of PT school for 13 years, almost 14 years. Um, and to be honest, like, I think I've grown more as a PT from what I've learned in the strength and conditioning field and, and the, the principles of progressive loading and, and things like that, that were not really taught in PT school. You know, obviously the PT background, you know, gives me the diagnostic areas and the ability to have a deep understanding of the anatomy, the physiology, healing processes, you know, injuries, pain. Um, so, you know, seeing a golfer that comes to me with back pain versus like maybe going to your typical strength coach, they can still probably give a similar protocol that I would give. Um, I think I have a deeper understanding of how to maybe deal with those patients, how to talk with those people, you know, explaining pain and, and pain science, if you want to call it that, and that type of stuff um, that allows me to kind of then take that, that and morph it into the strength and conditioning stuff, which is going to drive a lot of my programming, you know, even my acute injury, acute surgery, you know, I'm still very big on finding ways to load them uh, in the basic movements in a safe way while I'm dealing with, you know, all the things you would deal with in the acute stages of a healing process of an injury, surgery, pain, that type of thing. You know, it's kind of the old, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Greg, Greg Lehman, but you know, he has a very simplistic calm things down, build things back up. He uses a little more vulgar language to explain it, but uh, he, he, it's, it's very simple of if someone comes in in pain, you know, the number one goal is to get them calmed down so that you can then start to load them and build strength and build mobility and whatever you're trying to get out of it. So, you know, I think it's kind of a, uh, you know, out of, out of PT school, uh, uh, my boss was very heavy in strength and conditioning. So he, he was like, look, you need to get your CSCS. And so I kind of jumped into that field right away. And it was a lot of stuff. I was like, man, we never got taught any of this in PT school. And so I think both I've taken a lot from both areas and been able to kind of, you know, form, I guess, more of a hybrid approach to, to all patients, whether it's people coming to me just for improved performance or people coming to me because they're in pain, they just had surgery, they've just been injured, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, no, I think everything you said is exactly my experience as well. Um, I got my CSCS sometime during PT school just because that was, they were saying, oh, if you want to work with sports, it's kind of the thing you needed to do. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And I had some training background and, and whatnot. And um, personal training and stuff. So had some outline of that, but, you know, getting more deep into that and really understanding it's like, okay, yeah, shoot, they don't tell you anything. You know, I think we had like a couple of days conversation about strength training and loading and whatnot. And that was about it. Yeah. Um, from, from that standpoint, most of it's like, okay, learning how to get, how to diagnose somebody and then getting them out of pain. They don't really get to that next step, which is that load. And, and which <clears throat> I think we both agree on is, is, the key to really improving performance, but also just improving life because it makes you more resilient. Right. Absolutely. 100%. You know, I think as PTs, we're very good at getting people, you know, out of that acute stage of pain of healing. And I think as a profession, we've dropped the ball in being able to take them from there. So, you know, someone comes to us, they're feeling better and we just kind of throw them back to the wolves when they may be deconditioned, they may be weakened and, you know, okay, they can lift the, your three pound dumbbell or your red TheraBand, but, you know, can they go out and pick up their grandkids? Can they go out and swing a golf club 112 miles an hour or, you know, walk 
five miles or carry a suitcase to travel, whatever their goals are, you know, just because they feel mm-hmm. better. You know, we do a great job at that, but we don't do a great job of actually preparing them to get back to life and the loads that life puts on us or sports put on us, which is that next level, which is, you know, what strength and conditioning education has, you know, provided for me. Yeah, no, I, I still do some part time at a, at a local clinic and I have a person that is coming in for work conditioning. So look, getting them ready back to work for those who don't know what that is. And you have to do at least two to three hours worth of, of activity that is relative to what they do for work. And that looks a whole lot more like what a lot of clients or patients at the end of a, of a training um, at the end of a treatment, you know, series, you know, after you're getting your shoulder hurt and whatnot, you should be doing something a little bit closer to that because that's what day-to-day life is, right? You're lifting this and lifting that and carrying this, carrying that, whatever it may be. That's what, we, you know, you should be getting to that. And so I think that's where, like you said, that load, that progression of loading up and, and weight training kind of comes in. So. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think that's the beauty of, you know, I'm a huge Dan John fan. Uh, and so, you know, that's the beauty of kind of his basic movements, squat, hinge, push, pull, carry. I mean, uh, they're going to get you strong. If you get strong in those, you're going to be able to perform better. But, you know, those are things we do all day long. You know, we get in and out of chairs, we get off the toilets, we, you know, pick things up off the floor, we carry them, we push things, we pull things. So I think the beauty of that is just getting strong in those movements will really, you know, not only make you resilient, but make you capable of so many things. Um, you know, and that's kind of the, the uh, shameless plug here. I guess the the, the uh, theory behind my podcast, Becoming a Lifelong Athlete, is, you know, you don't necessarily have to be playing sports to be an athlete or to, to train like an athlete, to rehab like an athlete. Yeah, I, I agree. You have a body, you're basically an athlete, right? You, Absolutely. Day-to-day, day-to-day activities can be an athlete. I mean, we look at what classifies somebody as an athlete. You have so many wide range of sports and we got sport we're talking about golf you're hitting this white little ball across the across the field right or you've got uh curling for example you're brushing a stone along some ice it's like okay those are completely different skill sets and and but we still would classify both of those as athletes and then you got your typical football golf or football basketball you know and sprinters those type of people nobody questions that those guys are athletes but um yeah i think wide range but i agree that simple of hey there's the basic movements that we have to do you get good at that that can make you better at everything else that you do in life absolutely so i think you kind of touched on this question here but with regards to your training style what's been the biggest influence with your philosophy so definitely like if it's a person it's day and john for sure you know i started reading him uh reading his stuff you know, right out of PT school when I kind of started getting into strength and conditioning. And, and, you know, I'm a big fan of simplicity. You know, I think as PTs, as coaches, we tend to kind of overcomplicate things, you know, try to specify things too much. Obviously, in the golf world of fitness, you see this a lot, you know, whether it's people standing on Swiss balls or trying to to mimic the golf swing in the gym. Um, You know, Dan Johns, you know, him more than anybody – really influenced my approach to everything. So, you know, if I had uh, an athlete, I was still finding a way to work those basic movements into their program. If I had a, you know, 80 year old woman that had back pain, I was still finding ways to have them squat, deadlift, push, pull, carry things 
while maybe doing some specific back stuff with them as well. So I think the beauty of those movements and the beauty of loading and strength is you can always find a way to fit them to the person in front of you. You know, there's so many modifications, you know, and I, I, I always love the people that say, well, I can't squat. I have bad knees. I have bad hips or whatever. And, you know, my first question to them is, do you sit down? You ever get in and out of a chair? And, you know, of course, everybody does that. So, you know, my answer to this is you can squat. That's a way you can squat. So let's start squatting to a chair, you know. And so I think that's a, you know, I think everybody just, you know, people that don't have a, a real training history or maybe they didn't play sports. They kind of see those movements as you got to have a 300 pound bar, you know, 300 pounds on your back to call it a squat, but it's just a movement. And I think we are all can be capable of those movements to some degree. And not all of us need to deadlift 500 pounds or squat 300 pounds, but you know, it may just be getting you able to squat your body weight. So you can get out of that chair without having to use your hands or having to use help. And so, you know, I would say by far, his approach and the, the kind of building around those basic movement patterns is, has been the, by far the biggest influence on me and my approach to PT performance training, whatever I do. Yeah, yeah no, I, I've definitely found a lot of his stuff very, I think the simplicity of it in itself is very appealing because, Hey, we don't have to get super complex with things. Like you mentioned standing on BOSU balls and, you know, tying yourself up with bands and whatnot. And you know, it's not necessary if we just really think about what are the basic movements that we have. And, and we, have to, we have to perform on a day-to-day basis. And <clears throat> then we see all these correlations with, you know, tests that correlate with club head speed and, and stuff like that. Well, all of those break down into those basic movements. So again, it's like, okay, that just justifies why we need to work on the simple basic movements. And I tell almost every, everybody that comes through my clinic that, all right, it's the simple things done consistently that lead to greatness. So if you want to, you know, get get somewhere, you have to do something something consistently, and it's the simple things that really needs to be done. Yeah, and I think the more you know, it removes a lot of barriers to progress. You know, obviously, you know, I I don't work with any professional athletes, so I work with a few mini tour guys. So you know, technically, that's their profession. But most of the people I work with are parents they have full-time jobs they have limited time so you know they may only be able to get in the gym 45 minutes two to three days a week so i'm looking for the biggest bang for your buck what can we get in in that time and get you stronger and get you out of pain and i think all of that still goes back to those main lifts i mean you know uh there's days where i might have 15 minutes so i'm gonna go in and i'm gonna squat and i'm gonna get out and i know i still accomplished something i may have not done everything I wanted to do, but that's the beauty of something as simple as that is you can still be productive with limited time and limited resources with those, with those movements. Right. Well, I think I love the efficiency of it. Cause I mean, I can sit there and go, all right, I know I need to squat, hinge, push and pull. Well, if I, if I squat and pull and then I can hinge and push, then I can get those two things and just do, you know, super yeah. sets essentially back and forth and not fatigue muscles get my brakes in and but still make that really efficient and then i just gotta carry something at the end of the day and then then we're right there on everything that we needed to accomplish and like you said you know if i 30 minutes is enough time to get for me to get a good workout in whether i have a whole lot of weight or not um, like during this quarantine you know just finding little things that absolutely I can use and hitting up those those main movements and it's been been a pretty good way of getting an exercise it's just a matter of maintaining the motivation when you're in your house versus in a gym <laughs> yeah, one one hundred percent. So, 
we, we've mentioned the club head speed in correlation to some of these, these simple movements here. And club head speed is obviously one of the biggest topics in golf these days. So what would you what are some your go-to exercises that you use for people that are looking to increase their club head speed? So again, I think we can break it down into variations of those simple movements. So squat and hinge are going to be your strength version, you know, and the, and the power and speed version of that is going to be your jump variations. So box jumps, vertical jumps, rotational jumps, uh, bounding, single leg jump. You know, there's so many variations out there, but, you know, a simple squat and squat jump complex is a great, you know, great thing to kind of get your strength, get your power. Same thing, upper body. You know, if you're going to press a bench press followed by, you know, a plyometric push up, again, you're going to get your power, your, your fast twitch fibers, whatever you're going to call it, your speed move, and then you're going to get your strength from the bench press. Um, you know, pulling, heading heavy rows, bent over rows, single arm dumbbell rows. Um, you're hinging, you know, a deadlift variation that works for you, you know, and most of my clients, I don't pull from the floor just because mm -hmm. I don't personally, I don't pull from the floor. I usually use four inch blocks. Um, I, you know, I don't, it doesn't make that difference in the carryover to the golf swing, unless you're a power lifter and that's what you have to do in your competition. I don't really think anybody needs to, you can, if you got the mobility and the strength to do it, uh, you definitely can. But it's it's not, a, you know, again, it's one of those things that you, people see a deadlift and they say, well, that's the way I have to do it. That's the beauty of these things is if you can't squat really deep, we can box squat you. We can, you know, work in ranges you're comfortable with. Same thing with hinges. So, you know, it, I I think those cover your bases. So getting strong in those movements and then finding the 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 powerful versions of those so it, it could be just a speed squat so lighten the load move faster it could be a squat jump and then you know some rotational speed and power um your med ball throws or if you don't have medicine ball your cable and banded rotations but doing them with the speed emphasis so that's the one thing that that i kind of have to get on clients is you know that they never move fast enough so you know using the ground and moving as fast as you can. But I also like to throw in some slow controlled eccentric stuff uh, with that as well to kind of work on the deceleration of it. Um, some single leg stuff. So, I'll, you know, I think if you want to talk stability, which I think is an overused word in golf and in general, but, you know, heavy split squats, you know, find me someone that can do a heavy split squat that, that, isn't stable when it comes to the needs for the golf swing. So, you know, I, I do like to throw in some single leg stuff um, with that, um, you know, and those cover your basics, you know, mobility, the main areas you're going to hit is your thoracic spine, mid back rib cage, your hips, control of the pelvis, shoulder mobility. You know, those are all things that, that you got to be able to rotate to create speed. And the reality is, is the more you can rotate, the longer you have to create speed in the swing. And then the easier it is to do that thing faster. So, you know, that is a part of increasing swing speed. So you got to move well, you got to rotate well, you got to be strong, you got to be able to move fast. So if you hit those areas and the different planes of motion, the different movements, uh, you know, you really, I don't think you really need to do much more than that for, and especially for, you know, 98% of the golfers, you know, that, that, or most of them are going from a very low to no training background to, that you know you're going to get so much from just keeping it simple yeah yeah i think you, you hit on something that you know for the majority of golfers who aren't doing a whole lot of strength training you know just adding in that that 
consistent training is going to make a huge difference for them versus needing to really, you know, try to get that upper level of whatever it may be that you know, maybe like a professional golfer is looking for, or maybe some of your, your mini tour guys where they're trying to, you know, gain that last percentage where you have to be very uh, effect, efficient and effective at what you're wanting to get and knowing what your goal is and that way you can target it. But for the majority of golfers that just start doing and then that, that you're going to see that improvement. Yeah. I mean, I always say, you know, my, my two goals, especially with higher level golfers is everything I do should come back to two things. It should come back to increasing or at the very least maintaining their swing speed as they age and keeping them healthy, keeping them in condition so that they can play practice the skills as much as they want. You know, these are your golfers that are low, you know, that are low handicaps. They may be professional or they're high level amateurs that, you know, their swing isn't bad. They're not trying to, you know, make all these changes in their swing. They're not probably not super limited from a mobility standpoint. You know, maybe it's maintenance or getting a little more in one area. But, you know, that's kind of a question I ask myself when I build a program is, can I tie it back to that? The higher handicaps, then it may be more, okay, the third thing may be, are they trying to make swing changes and what are some limitations that physically could be hindering that? And then we may tackle those as well. But, you know, I think that as a coach, that's something you kind of always have to be asking yourself is, all right, every exercise I put in their program, does it fit those goals? And then, you know, if they have a goal for weight loss and maybe they, you know, you get some guys, maybe they want to add some, some inches to their arms. I don't see anything wrong with that, but I explained to them that, Hey, if your top priority is golf performance, these things may be lower on the scale. And if, and we're going to get to them, we're usually going to throw them at the end of the workout, or maybe I'll give them an optional, you know, I call it a beach day, beach muscle day where, you know, they're hitting the buys, the tries, they may hit some shoulders or things like that, but also making sure they can, it doesn't take away from their practice and their play time. They can recover from it, things like that, you know, those things are fine, but you got to get kind of the meat and potatoes of it first. And then you can allow yourself to kind of go out and, and reach out. You know, I think like Michael Carroll fit for golf. He's, he's starting to do some interesting things with higher level golfers kind of, you know, that's where I kind of started playing with eccentrics and things like that, learning from him. Yeah. But again, this is still the small percentage of the people that are going to come to you and I, you know, majority of them, again, they need a weight, they need to learn how to move and they need to increase that weight, you know, and, and most of them that's going to take them as far as they want to go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, so I, I like how, you know, that again, just the simplicity of, okay, knowing your why for, for your exercises that you're programming. And again, like, if you have an understanding of what the goal is and you know what it takes to get to that goal, then you know, do I do this? Do I not do this? Right. Absolutely. Uh, and again, it just helps keep everything efficient, you know, again, because most of the people I work with, they're very limited in their gym time. So I want to make sure that everything that they're doing is pushing them towards their goals. And I don't want to waste any minute of that limited time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. That's exactly. I mean, that's the way where I'm at too, you know, got two little girls at home, five and three. So any, any extra time wants to be spent with them. And, you know, there's always the hassles of uh, all the little things that you have to do with, with business and, and providing. So, but awesome. Well, so I always ask a couple of different questions here as I wrap up with people. What's your favorite golf course or 
memory or both? Course. So the favorite course I've played, uh, I would have to say is it's a place called Madeiras Country Club. It's outside of San Diego. Um, you know, I, I played uh, Tory Pines out there on the same trip. And, and Tory was great. Obviously, it was a great experience. Views were beautiful. But Madeiras, it's kind of carved in the mountains, beautiful homes. Mm-hmm. It, and it was, a, it was a very challenging course. I think I had three or four four putts because the greens were, you know, down here in Louisiana, you know, we got to we got to work hard to create undulations in the greens where there, you know, that was all over the place. So uh, but it was a beautiful course, probably the most scenic course I played, you know, beautiful condition, um, you know, favorite memory. You know, I've been lucky enough to, to make a trip to the master. So, you know, that's kind of one of those bucket list things, uh, you know, as far as just a golf experience. Um, you know, I've made the U.S. Open. Uh, I've made it to a U.S. Open. So my one of my goals, I've got a couple of buddies we travel with is to make it to every major and make it to a Ryder cup. I've been to the players U S open and masters. So, um, I got the PGA probably British open is going to be a ways down the road just because of finances and travel with that. And then even Ryder cup, it's a, it's a, a pricey ticket to get, you know, not that the masters wasn't, but, uh, I didn't have kids at that point. So my, uh, my expendable income was a little higher then. Right. Right. Um, that's awesome. Some awesome experiences, man. Uh, yeah, my, my, one of my goals is to get over, on um, uh, over the pond and, and check out some of the, just the old courses there. I've yeah. Kind of recently gotten into some golf history with listening to some podcasts and just learning more about, about where golf comes from and really strong me over, over that way. But yeah, it's kind of be a while before the finances kind of get to that point. Yeah. That's a definitely a bucket list trip for me, but that's, that's probably, uh, that might be till my kids are out of the house type of trip that <laughs> with that, but you know, it's yeah, a, yeah. uh, it's, it's on my to-do list for sure. Um, a, a great book, just kind of a side note. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard a book called the match. Uh, yes. it's a great read. You know, it's, it's that, that I read that book and that kind of sparked me wanting to learn more about the history of golf and professional golf. And, and it's written very well. It's about, uh, I think it's Byron Nelson, Ben Hogan, Ken Venturi, and another amateur golfer. You know, they play this kind of legendary match, but they do a great job of telling the history of the course, the history of the players and and their experiences. And so that, you know, I've been getting more into the history of golf and courses and, you know, even like wanting to learn more about course design. You know, there's so many little intricacies of, of, you know, the game of golf that that's, I think that's one of the beauties of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the only sport that is played on a non-standardized field, Absolutely. right? So it's different everywhere you go, according to how the field is. Is I mean, so yeah. Um, and I've 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 actually read that book, and that's that's one of the books that kind of started me on this because you know you heard the names of Byron Nelson and and Ben Hogan, and uh, and um, that really just gave me a better understanding of who those guys were and and whatnot. Because obviously not old enough to have uh, experienced those guys. I, uh, but, and then it just wanted me to learn more about those guys and learn about the past and even going back as far as that uh, old Tom Morris. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting to know a little bit more about him. Absolutely. Awesome. So before we, uh, Oh, wrap up here, who else should, who else would you think would be a good person to get on here on the podcast? So I think, and, and uh, I think uh, definitely Mike Carroll's a great, Great conversation. 
Um, he's probably one of the top guys in, in golf performance, in my opinion. Um, and, and he's kind of very on edge groundbreaking with a lot of his thoughts and stuff. And, and, you know, he's still, you know, we agree on our, a lot of our approaches, which doesn't, you know, hurt our, our friendship, but, you know, I've, I've probably gained the most just from following him on social media and being able to have conversations with him and pick his brain. Uh, Nick Buckin of, I think stronger golf, you know, he's another great one. Um, you know, your, your generals, I just had a great conversation for mine with, a with, a the legendary teacher, Chuck cook, who's in his seventies and he still runs sprints and, you know, lifts weights. So it was a fun conversation to see him, you know, uh, and he's taught a lot. I mean, countless PGA professionals and, and, you know, he's been teaching his whole life. Um, again, I, you know, I've been, I've had Dan John on mine, you know, he, he's a, always a good conversation. Very, you could talk to him about anything, you know, whether it has to do with, with lifting or sports or whatever. Um, you know, I think he's got like a master's in theology and all kind of different degrees. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's one of the most knowledgeable guys, well-rounded guys that I've ever spoken with. Um, you know, those are probably my, my top of my head, Brett McCabe. He's a great mental guy. Uh, he's an LSU, LSU grad. Um, but he, he, he works with a lot of golfers. I, you know, I had him on mine. Um, but he, he's a great talk and, and a great, great insight into the mental side of golf and dealing with athletes and the kind of the biopsychosocial aspect of, of working with athletes and kind of remembering their, their human beings, you know, they're not just some robot that, you know, goes out and hits golf balls very well that, you know, they have stressors and, and life experiences just like you and I that are going to affect their ability to train, to play, to perform. And so he's probably on the mental side, definitely one, one I would uh, reach out to. And all those guys have been, you know, I didn't other I knew who they were, but I didn't have a relationship with any of those guys before reaching out to them. And they were all more than gracious to come talk with me. So uh, I don't see why they wouldn't be with you. Cool. Very awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Nice little lift here. So uh, JP, well, thank you so much for coming on, man. And before we go, tell us where we can follow you and support your work. So my website's uh, getyourgolfandsport.com. Uh, you know, also have a blog on there, YouTube channel, which is, uh, I think it's also Get Your Golf and Sport, or it might be uh, Dr. JP Gidry. Um, I'm on Twitter at Barbells and Birdie. I'm on Instagram at Get Your Golf and Sport, Facebook. You, know, you can search me, John JP Gidry, John Paul Gidry, and then the Gidry Golf and Sport on Facebook. Uh, I think I'm on LinkedIn as well. But you know, most I'm I'm pretty. You know, I try to stay active on all of those, whether it's posting or having conversations and things like that. You know, you can email me at John Paul Gidry PT PT Gidry PT dot com. Uh, you know, if anybody has any questions or just wants to you know pick my brain. Uh, for whatever that's worth. But, uh, you know, I try to stay active. I try to stay open. You know, I, I, one thing I found in this field is there have been very few people that I've reached out to, you know, that I wanted to learn from that, that weren't an open door. So, you know, I try to kind of, as I grow and learn in, in, in my abilities to coach and to, to, you know, as a PT, you know, I try to be open to give back to others because, you know, I learn so much more from having conversations with people than I ever learned in school or reading the books, you know, you know, that type of thing. So, um, you know, I, I would say, you know, whatever your, your, whatever field you're in, you know, so that's the beauty of social media. There's a lot of negative to it, but 
get on there and follow the people that are the best in that field and, and message them, you know, reach out, ask for, ask questions, ask questions on their poach, on their posts, have conversations with them. Um, Cause I think the majority of people out there in, in our field, strength and condition and even physical therapy uh, are pretty open to, you know, educating and giving feedback and, and, and sharing their knowledge for sure. Yeah. I think most of them remember being, being yeah. that guy. And so Absolutely. they're willing to, to give back. There was somebody that did that for them. So maybe not through social media for some of those guys, but you know, at <laughs> some point there was somebody that kind of helped them answer questions and whatnot. So, well, thank you so much, man. That's it for this episode of the Golf Under Par podcast. We'll have, to, we'll have all of uh, JP's information in the show notes. Thank you so much, JP, and all of you guys that are that have listened. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. It's been a blast. Hey, guys. If you enjoyed this content, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by helping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips. Again, our Facebook group is Golf Fitness Tips. We'll see you there. Have a good one.